You are listening to Pili Aloha Now, Building Sustainability, Youth Indicator Series with co-host Chris Jazz Colthurst. This series is brought to you by Thrively. Every child deserves to thrive. Building sustainability is about bridging the gaps in definitions, understanding, and trust when implementing sustainability, while innovating with empathy in order to have a sustainable future for our current and future generations. The youth are key indicators of how we are doing as a society. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the seventh episode. This is Pili Aloha Estal, and with me is Chris Jazz Colters. Hello, Chris. Hello, hello, hello. Last episode, we welcome Professor Dr. Tilkin from Emden, Germany, a professor of social work. He discussed with us the unilateral global priority of youth mental health wellness and awareness, as well as his recent international research assessing youth prevention and wellness programs in Australia, USA, Germany, and Thailand. We are looking forward to hearing back from Dr. Tilkin about his findings. From his continuous research, he highly encourages leisure activities with the family, as well as consistent community-supported and enriched programs for our youth. In addition, Dr. Tilkin recommended a program in Iceland called Planet Youth. I did reach out to them, and hopefully they will be able to be on our Youth Indicator series. Chris, I'm very happy to have you back. I definitely had a few moments of running away with questions to the guests the last two episodes, so I'm happy to have you back and keeping me on track. It's it's good to be back. Um, I honestly was just taking some advice from Dr. Teal King and having some leisure activity with my children uh, the last episode. So I was just putting your podcast to use. Good. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. I need to now do the same. So maybe next one you'll, I can have you take over and I'll leisure a little bit. Well, today, Chris and I are so excited and honored to welcome Coach Joe Quigley. I'm going to refer to him as Coach Joe today. He's from Worcester, England, born in Manchester. He is a youth mental health advocate and mentor. Coach Joe loves seeing people succeed. He thrives to better himself every day so he can help others do the same. Through coaching and mentoring, he engages the youth to help them be more confident in who they are by improving their mental well-being. He is committed to striving for excellence, succeeding, and being the being the help for those who need it. His passion inspiring others and coaching spans from workshops to community groups and schools across the UK and virtually available worldwide. Welcome, Coach Joe. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Well, Coach Joe, I'm so honored to have you on the podcast, Chris and I both, and I know we have a lot to talk about today, and how we originally started talking was about your inspiration of youth mental health and really inspiring those uh, youth who need it, and we forget how important it is. So I think to start off, though, can you share with us your background and what inspired you into this wonderful and valuable role of coaching and mentoring youth? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, as a child, I grew up in a family with two parents who were teachers. So education was a big thing in our house. Um, You know, there was a lot of young people in conversations. You know, my parents worked as teachers with high school age students. So in the UK, that would be anywhere from 11 to 16. Um, And my dad specialized in working with students with additional needs. And as a kid, I used to go to school with my dad sometimes and kind of see how he worked in his environment um, and, you know, just kind of picked up on different social aspects of young people interacting with adults and with other young people as well. So that was kind of the start of my journey 
Um, and then growing up as a young man in the UK, a lot of us play football or soccer, um, as they would call it in the US. And, you know, through my love of soccer and my love of young people, you know, interacting with each other, that kind of took me on a journey into football coaching or soccer coaching. And after I left high school, I was fortunate enough to find an opportunity in the United States to come out and do some soccer coaching. Wow. Um, so that actually took me to New Jersey, which was initially supposed to be an eight-month contract, um, and I ended up staying for nine years. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, my, my 20s was a, a little different to your average 20-year-old's years. Um, you know, like I said, it was only supposed to be a short-term thing, but I, I loved it so much, and I got on you know, well with the company, and everything seemed to work out nicely. So you know, that sort of experience and wanting to be away from home for a while actually turned into a nine-year living experience um, out in New Jersey. So that was uh, a little bit different, but it was a great opportunity for me to learn. You know, I didn't go to university or college, as you would call it in the States. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not really um, a good student, or I wasn't when I was younger. You know, I, 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 I was more active. I didn't like sitting in a classroom and reading from a board or hearing somebody talk. I wanted to be out there doing. So um, I... You know, I, I took the decision when I was about 16 or 17 to not go to college and go out and work and learn that way. Just to reference in the UK and a lot of European countries, that's kind of when you decide. It's different than here in the States where it's kind of at 18 you make that decision, but just so people can reference that who may not understand that. Yeah, so in this country, you, you finish high school officially at 16 years old, um, which is a very young age to be making the decision of what you want to do for the next phase of your life. A lot of young people will take a two-year opportunity to go to what's called like a sixth form college or an extended college, which I did for two years. But I knew even before I went there that I wasn't going to go to university afterwards. So my journey into coaching kind of started when I was about 14 or 15, wow. um, just going with my dad who was working as a coach, you know, for a local comp uh, company in Manchester. And, you know, just going along, taking part in the sessions as a player, but also learning what it was to be a leader, you know, learning what it was to stand in front of a group of, of children and explain not only the game of soccer, but also, you know, show them a, a good path to take in life. Um, so that was how I started coaching or, or soccer coaching. And that's kind of evolved over time into me now working more as a development coach, a life coach. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many names for it. Um, but my I see myself now as, as, a, as a mentor and as a coach to young people, not, not coaching through sport, but now coaching through the situation that they're living in, whether it's you know a, a, a difficult situation, whether it's a comfortable situation, whatever it is, if they need support, I try and be there as much as I can. That is wonderful. And I think what really inspired me when I first started reading about your work and we started uh, conversing is obviously the mental health awareness and wellness is such a big turn of events for us right now is a society and really paying attention to our youth in that and you kind of already were leaps ahead of it but so being able to have you on this podcast and talk to you about your observations through those times because we're I feel like not that we're trying to catch up with it but it really is kind of vital right now in a lot of the areas that we discussed and um you know, so thank you. Thank you for sharing your background. Yeah, my pleasure.
you know, in previous episodes, we, we like talking about statistics. We talk about metrics and numbers. We've talked to them with Dr. Barone and Dr. Tilking. Um, we were wondering, Coach uh, Joe, can you share with us some statistics that stand out to you uh, in terms of youth mental health awareness and concerns? Absolutely, yeah. So in, in this country, mental health has become a very prominent topic in more recent years. Um, so some of the statistics from the last couple of years, um, one in four people will experience mental health issues each year. And that's not specific to young people, that's specific to just the population in general. But then if you narrow it down to younger people, about 50% of mental illness in life starts by the age of 15. And then that increases to 75% before the age of 18. Wow. So in this country, when you're talking about 15 to 18, that's when you leave in high school you're either going into two years of further education or you're going into an apprenticeship or you're going straight into work. So it's that kind of time where, you know, what, what does life hold for a young person once they leave school? Um, in terms of, you know, narrowing it down even further to gender, you know, you're looking at young women aged 16 to 24 are three times more likely to experience a mental health problem than men of the same age. You know, there's a lot of pressure on young girls, as there always has been, but I think now with social media, that pressure has increased even further. Um, suicide in this country is a very big topic amongst men. Um, you know, the, the, the suicide rates in this country among men are generally higher in older men, um, past the age of sort of 55, but when you go and look at the younger generation, um, under 25, suicide increased by 23.7% in 2018. Oh and that's goodness. the last statistic that we could find. So, you know, that I don't want to specify, but I would suggest that that may have gone up in the last year or two. Hopefully I'm wrong, but, you know, you're looking at one in four men under the age of 25 potentially taking their own life before their life has even started, which is a real shame. Um, you know, you've also got 70 to 75 people with diagnosable mental health issues actually receive no treatment at all. So they're diagnosed with something and they either wait for a long time to be treated or they get no treatment whatsoever. So I think, you know, if you're looking at a statistic like that, if I was told that I had a mental health issue and then I didn't get any treatment for that, you know, if it was anxiety, if it was depression, for me, it would make it worse because I wouldn't know how to deal with it. I wouldn't know who to turn to. So I think it's, it's vital that, you know, all these young people that struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, anything else, that they get the support that they need. Because, you know, as, as a 33-year-old as a now, mental health wasn't really discussed when I was 15, 16. It wasn't no. such a particular topic. But then over the years, I feel like it's increased awareness, which I think is a good thing because I think it means that people are more open to talking about it and more open to admitting if they have a problem. But it doesn't mean that it's getting any better. And I think you're correct, uh, Coach Joe, because I think it's not that we, not saying that we push it under the rug, but I, I kind of relate it to just the ability to understand that talking about it is a conversation that has to be had and being able to talk about it. I relate it to, I think I mentioned it in a previous podcast. It was in the military where PTSD wasn't discussed like it is now or in uh, youth mental health, the kids are exposed to so much information. So I kind of look at it as our brains are expanding and kids' brains are expanding. It's almost how do they process that information? So then 
individuals who are susceptible to it, and, and you could have a completely viable, healthy family unit and still suffer mental health. It, 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 the, the ramifications of mental health are so wide. So I think what we had originally talked about, Coach Joe, was trying to understand the breadth of mental health. And obviously, in the last podcast I've talked about with Dr. Brown and Dr. Teokin is we're looking at prevention and programs to work on mental health. But I think what I really liked about your work and what you're doing is understanding where the issues come from. Because if we understand where the issues are coming from, then we can address prevention and have those conversations and try to implement programs that are effective for those situations and communities or, you know, I think everybody has mental health awareness uh, programs that they need to implement in their communities and systems and in their societies. You talk about your concerns, which include school pressure, unreported abuse, bullying, and unrelated social media and unregulated social media. And without fully understanding the reasons, we cannot change the directions. Can you talk a little bit about some of the reasons maybe why mental health is is becoming more talked about or why it needs to be? And then what does that look like going forward? Going back to, to young people, you know, when, when, you're, the, when you're a child, you're supposed to enjoy life. There's supposed to be nothing to worry about. You know, you're supposed to be free. You know, it's carefree when you're a child. You know, you think of when you're an adult, you go to work and there's pressure at work. There's stress with a job. There's commuting. You know, all of that comes with adult life. And I think as adults, we understand that. But as a child, for me, shouldn't be under pressure. You know, and I've worked in a school in in the environment full time. And, you know, some of the kids were really struggling because there was a lot of pressure. And it's not the teacher's fault. Don't get me wrong. Teachers are fantastic. They do an amazing job with our young people. But teachers are under a lot of pressure as well. Teachers are under pressure to get results, to teach the children, to make sure lessons are planned appropriately to attend meetings to you know mark books they have a lot of pressure as well and i think that kind of filters down to the young people and when young people are under pressure they don't have the mental capacity their brain isn't fully formed yet so they don't know how to deal with it properly so i think that's where we as a society have to try and take the pressure away from them because in this country and i think it's the same in the in the states with sats when you leave high school, you leave with what we call GCSE results. So at the end of your final year of high school, you sit your exams. And, you know, I think back to when I was a kid and the conversation hasn't changed that much. There's still a lot of pressure to get good exam results when you leave high school. So I think a lot of children are put under pressure, not only by schools, but by parents, by peers. You know, they also put that pressure on themselves that they have to get good grades. Otherwise, they think they are a failure. You know, and in this country, and I don't know if it's the same in the United States, I talk to a lot of young people about the day after they get their exam results. Because when you're in high school in this country and sort of the last two years of high school, a lot of talk is about your GCSEs, which are your final exams, and then what we call results day, which is the day the students go to school, they pick up the results. It's about two months after their final exam. I always talk to the students about life after results day, you know, because they can't yeah. see past it. They, they, they just can't because it's all they hear. It's all they know. You know, I'm sure they have 
thoughts about what their life is going to be like when they're older and, you know, do they want to be like their parents or do they want to be like somebody they see on TV? But in that sort of final year of high school, results day is the only day that seems to matter, which, yes, it's important because, you know, good exam results then decide when you go to college or where you go to college, which then have a bearing on going to university, you know, do you want to go to Oxford or you just want to go to a local university? You know, obviously better GCSE results has an effect on that. But, you know, I've got a statistic here in front of me and I'm just thinking, you know, 18% of students aged 12 to 17 report self-harming. Wow. And, you know, for me, I was lucky growing up. I didn't really... I wasn't really exposed to the, should we say, the darker side of life. You know, I had a very good upbringing. I was very fortunate. My parents really looked after me. But I couldn't even think of one student that I went to high school with that, that I knew or was even thinking about that person is suicidal. That person, you know, looks like they self-harm or, you know, they, they miss a lot of school. And, I, you know, and it worries me a little bit because, you know, you... This, you know, I mean, I've always been told that your, your younger years are the best years of your life. You know, you don't have to work. There's no pressure. But, you know, you look at young people now and there is a lot of pressure. You know, and I think you mentioned about social media or information overload. You know, I think that has a huge bearing too. I think social media is fantastic. I think it's brought a lot of people closer together. But I think it's also divided people as well in the sense that if a young person is being bullied at school or they don't have many friends at school and then they go home, you know, and things are happening on the social media that they're not a part of, that makes them feel even further away. You know, or if somebody is bullying them, bullying them on social media, is it as recognized? Are they going to talk about it? You know, I think it's easy to hide behind a phone. It's easy to hide behind your Xbox or your laptop or your iPad and, you know, make fun of a young person or an, another person from school, you know, and, I mean, one in five kids in this country have reported cyberbullying. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the kids that report it. Those are the kids that are brave enough to come out and say something. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say these are the exact causes of mental health, but I definitely think that there is a lot of pressure on young people with social media. And because it's not managed, in my opinion, as it should be, a young, among the younger age group, then you know, who knows what young people are seeing on social media? Who knows what they're being exposed to through computers yeah. and through, through phones? Well, and I mean, adults can barely handle social media. So, <laughs> so then you put the youth in it and those numbers are what the concern is. And it kind of took, it sounds silly. Well, not silly. It sounds ironic that social media is what kind of awakened us to mental health so obviously I always try to take the positive of anything and say okay well if social media has helped us open our eyes to the conversations of mental health that's wonderful but it also gives the youth more exposure so as as adults we have a hard time managing social media so I cannot imagine bullying which is an issue and I think it's always been an issue it's just the context of how bullying exists within that age, especially in the what they call, well, I guess it would be middle school years. Uh, but those years are kind of susceptible to bullying. Just it's that age of kind of awareness and it's that that mental state for youth. But I think what the concern is, 
is if we don't address social media as adults for how it impacts you. So Instagram pushed out that initiative, which went global to remove the number of likes or you can't see how many likes. So it's gone on and I think they did a few phases, but they've found how many individuals have been positively impacted by not seeing how many likes has literally changed entire mental wellness of youth and not seeing that number of likes. So who knows, maybe they'll implement it to be across the board um, to happen where you just can't see the number of likes. It would just be that one person plus others and they really are finding a positive. I saw the initial rollout, but I haven't seen it being implemented across the board. But I think, again, taking the medium of social media to help bring in the awareness, but we also need to address it. We can't just sit by and analyze it, which I think Dr. Tilkeen had mentioned that, yeah, it's great. We can all talk about this and read it in a paper, but let's put our awareness and we know the numbers are going in the wrong direction which is continually being voiced especially in mental health and suicide numbers in youth and we need to change that direction I don't think we can just always sit around and talk and we need to have some sort of action plan of what that looks like so I personally think changing the number of likes or to me would seem a very effective tool to do in social media for me personally yeah I agree and I think, you know, having what we call quote unquote followers as well, you know, how many, who, who, who has the most followers? Who's the most popular online? You know, there might be a, a young person who feels like they have a lot of people who are their friends online because they have a huge number of followers, but then they go to school and they're completely alienated because none of those followers are from their local area, yeah. you know? So all their friends, their followers actually don't exist in their real world. They only exist in the virtual world. So I think that has an effect as well. Yeah. Are we making people with voices or are we trying to make like pseudo cult leaders who have followers um, for their, their mission or their statements? But um, uh, Coach Joe, what I'm really excited about today is to get to hear from you about what work and what action you're taking um, and specifically learning more about your coaching techniques. And I just... I'm so excited to listen and, and hear you talk about, you know, your interactions with youth. And the, if you could discuss, you know, the uplight and the, uh, the gray space techniques that you use, um, I, I think our, our, our listeners will value that immensely. Sure. Yeah. So the uplift and the gray space are two different coaching programs that I actually have and that I offer to people. Um, so the uplift is more targeted towards young people who are struggling with their confidence um, who are struggling with just discovering who they are. Um, and that program is all about kind of helping them find themselves. It's about, you know, not taking away the journey of, you know, self-discovery, but just kind of encouraging them and supporting them along that journey. Because I think, you know, it is a minefield. It's very hard to discover who you are. And with social media now and with the internet, you know, young people are exposed to so much and it's very hard it was for me anyway, to kind of narrow down who I was um, when I was that age. And I, I can imagine now it's even harder. And I've had conversations with a lot of young people, especially young girls, but also boys as well, who will say things like, oh, I saw this person on Instagram and they're the same age as me and they have X amount of followers. Or they look nothing like me. You know, they're, they're so fit and, you know, they have this perfect six pack and, you know, it, it's 
it's something that I look at and I think, you know, when I was younger, I would watch TV and I would see somebody and think, yeah, but it's okay because they're on TV, they're, they're playing a role or they're, you know, a famous sports person. So they're supposed to look like that because they train every day. Um, so with the uplift, it's just about giving the young person confidence and it's about giving them that belief that it doesn't matter if you don't know who you are yet, you're going to get there eventually and try not to compare yourself to other people. Just be yourself. You know, it doesn't, it's not always easy. You know, it, it, it's definitely not. But uplift is all about giving them that confidence and that self-belief that they will grow into who they're supposed to be. And then the gray space is a little more, it's kind of, I wouldn't say the opposite, but it's, it's moving away from that. So the gray space is more about the young people who are a little older, you know, more the sort of high school age or the 17, 18 younger people that are looking at, you know, going to university and they're kind of confident in who they are, but they don't really know what they want to do with their life. They don't really understand what they want to be. They know they want to work in a certain field or they want to go a certain path, but they're not quite sure how to navigate that path or they're not quite sure which path to take if they have four or five different ideas in their mind about what it is that they actually want to be. So that's kind of helping them through the fog. And that's why I call it the gray space. You know, it's, it's kind of foggy when you're that age. You don't really know if you're going left, if you're going right, if you're going forwards. You know, you just, it's very <laughs> difficult. So it, it's just kind of helping them figure out what it is that they actually want um, or what they think they want and trying to, trying to guide them on the path that is, is best for them as an individual, not what's best for me or not what's best for the people who think what is best for that young person. You know, giving that young person the control, the, the freedom of choice to say, no, you know what, my parents want me to be this, but actually that's not what I want to be. I think I want to be something a little bit different. And it's just giving them that, yeah, that confidence to say, okay, that's the path I want to go and I'm going to take that path. And, and do you offer a version like for 46-year-olds who are going through the same thing, like a midlife crisis version of that? <laughs> that's what I was just going to say. Currently, no. Okay. Um, it's something I've thought about, but right now my focus is on the younger generation. Sure. Because I, I kind of have a gray space going on in my beard right now with the whites and black hairs interacting. So I, I, I just needed to ask. And, and Coach Joe, I mean, honestly, if we could just transform you into a gazillion of you so you could coach us all, youth and adults, I think we would all be doing much better right now. Um, I think you need to write a few books. I have a feeling you might say that you have that in the queue. I mean, I think your techniques are wonderful. And thank you so much for explaining those in a little more detail. And I think a lot of what we talked about earlier, and I think maybe um, Dr. Uh, Brady, who is on our launch podcast, she was transforming Ice Age schools. And it's really about that assessing more. And um, one of our um, what we call sponsors for this actual podcast, which is uh, Youth Indicators as Thrively. So they work a lot on the assessment. So learning what the kids want to do and who they are instead of just the testing, 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 and really assessing who they are, what they want to be. Because as you said, these are the the ages where they just want to understand who they are. And I think if we open up those conversations and use your techniques, it really will be helpful. So hopefully you are writing a book <laughs> and you can multiply yourself in a gazillion ways so we can all be you know positively impacted and learn from you so and i think later on we'll discuss a little bit about how we can learn more and about your programs and get involved or you know either 
you know, get our own coaching or individuals, you know, families with students and youth to get coaching, even though we now want you to coach us. And do you think for mental health awareness, for getting the numbers back in the right direction, obviously, these are two techniques that you discussed. Can you maybe tell us what you think would be effective? Because I always think of our listeners and how to be effective as a podcast and information and help spread awareness and understanding how can we best either support your efforts or learn more and what does that look like is a community who wants to either I guess engage their their students their children their community to getting to learn more about techniques and processes what would that look like and how would we, you advise youth and recommendations to help with the mental health um, awareness and direction and bullying? And, and how do we kind of change that direction? Do you have an idea of maybe what that could look like as of today? I think, in, in my opinion, that it, the first thing we need to do is look at education. I think education is a wonderful tool for everybody, not just for young people. I think it's something we can all aspire to learn something we don't know. And I think from my opinion, when I was in school, education was predominantly done by somebody speaking and the students listening. I'm a big advocate for letting young people have a voice. Young people are not stupid. Young people are still growing. They're still developing. But in my opinion, at the moment, a lot of people who are older make decisions for young people. In this country at the moment, with the whole coronavirus situation, a lot of young people are wanting to ask questions about what is post-COVID-19 going to look like for their generation? What is the future going to look like for anyone who is currently under the age of 25? Because at the moment, there is little representation for those young people in high levels of government. There is also very little representation for those young people when it comes to decisions around education, when it comes to decisions around what is best for young people. So personally, I'd like to, if, if there's something I think I want to implement in my coaching or in a workshop or an idea that I have, and it involves young people, they are my go-to to ask those questions. Because if I'm having a conversation with people my age about what is best or what 16 and 17 year olds currently want, I think I know, but generally I find yeah. I'm way off the mark. And I think, you know, when we have conversations with young people and when we ask them what it is that they want or what do they like or what do they want changing, it's different to what we as adults think because we don't see the, the world through their eyes. You know, they know how their situation is and we try and perceive it, but it comes from our own perspective. So I'm looking... At times, I'm trying to look at the world through the eyes of a 16-year-old as a 33-year-old, and it just doesn't work. You know, and it's the same for me and my parents. You know, my dad sees the world very differently to how I do, and my generation is very different to his and vice versa. And, you know, I think when you engage young people and you make them feel part of the solution or part of the future or part of the change, they're more open to the change than if you just go to them and say, this is what's happening. And I think... That's one thing as a community here in the States, in Canada, in Ireland, in any country, 
if we want to give the young people a voice, we have to give them an opportunity to speak. But as adults, we also have to take the time to listen to what it is that they want to say. Because I think sometimes young people feel like they want to express how they feel. They want to communicate, but they often feel like people aren't really listening. They're just kind of, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, good idea. And then that's it. You know, I think young people, you know, I look at young people like Emma Gonzalez. I look at people like Greta Thunberg. I look at Malala. You know, those are young people who I talk about to young people that I work with and say, look at these guys. They're no different to you. They are just in a position where they may have gone through something very unfortunate or they're in a position where they've made their voice heard but they're still teenagers. You know, they're still young people. You can aspire to be just like them. But I think sometimes young people think they're so far away from that that they can't achieve it. Yeah. You know, throughout this podcast, we've, uh, we've learned the power of stories um, and empowering people to share theirs um, because it's such a powerful tool to change things for the policy level or just change things within a family or a community. Um, so, my, my thought right now is that I would like to listen. Um, I would like to listen to a few of your stories. Uh, if you could share with our audience and with us today um, something that you found inspiring or something that you've seen in action, a true life story that you're involved with, we would love, love to listen right now. Um, I will give you the, well, the first one that comes to mind doesn't involve myself, but it involves a young man in this country He's called Marcus Rashford. He plays for Manchester United Football Club, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Yeah. I think Marcus Rashford's about 21, 22. He's only a young man. And he recently managed to get the government to change one of their policies. So in this country, there is a program for students who are from deprived backgrounds or deprived families, which is called the Free School Meals Program. So they can get free food at school if they can't afford it. And the government decided that this year, through the school holidays, so sort of the end of July and into August that they would keep schools open for young people to go in if they needed to, but they would not offer free school meals. And Marcus Rashford used his platform as a professional footballer, soccer player to raise awareness of this. And he actually said that, you know, when I was in, in school as a student, I was on free school meals and he kind of normalized the whole thing. He made it less weird, less, you know, taboo to be on free school meals but he actually started um what's the right word a campaign to reverse the decision and i think about two weeks ago the government actually said okay we're going to reverse the decision we're going to bring the free school meals back so any young people that go to school through the summer holidays will get their free school meals and i've had this conversation with a couple of people since and they said yeah but marcus rashford is a famous footballer he has the platform to do it which i 100 percent agree with But I also go back and say, but at the same time, he's not only changed the decision, but he's also said to young people by admitting that he himself was on free school meals, that there's nothing wrong with it. There's no shame in admitting that your family struggle, you know, or you're from a single parent home or you live with your grandparents and you can't afford your meals at school. And I think that just opened up so many young people's eyes to say, you know what, he's not that different to us. Yes, he plays for Manchester United. Yes, he's a famous footballer. Yes, he gets paid a lot of money to do what he does. But at the end of the day, he's just a kid from Manchester who was born with a unique talent that he's worked hard at and got himself to a position. 
but he's still a kid from Withenshaw at the end of the day. So I think that one is a real standout one at the moment for me. Um, in terms of anyone that I'm involved with, it's it's hard to pick one because you know I meet so many amazing young people. I meet so many young people that think that they're not important. And the first thing I tell them is, why not? Or I ask them, why not? And they say, because I've not done this or I've not done that. Or, you know, they think that just by being a kid is not enough anymore to make you important. They feel like they have to have achieved something. They feel like they have to have done something extraordinary by the age of 13 or 14 or 15. And I think for me, it's just having that conversation with them and make them realize that, okay, yeah, maybe you haven't done anything amazing yet in your eyes, but you're still a human being. You're still important. You still matter to somebody. You know, you don't have to achieve this level of followers or be perfect to be important. And I think, you know, that, that, that's what I take from working with young people. You know, it doesn't matter to me what their background is. You know, generally I don't want to know. I just want to know who they are in that moment and how have they, how's their day going? You know, not what you're doing. It's how are you? You know, rather than being confrontational and challenging them on something that I don't agree with or, it, you know, it's just having them realize that they're important and, you know, saying hello or shaking their hand when they walk through a door or, you know, a little fist bump or something like that. Just seeing a young person smile and the shoulders lift up and the chest go out and, you know, just making them feel like, hey, you know what? I am important and I do belong. That's that's the big thing for me. And I think that's the most important story you could share with us is, is that is your story and your experience of what change can occur when uh, those moments do occur, uh, happen with youth. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, Coach Joe. And I think, as Chris mentioned, it's it's listening and having the ability of you listen to so many youth is so powerful because then you get to share their eyes with others. So I'm excited to follow you, watch you, see the work you do, and then help spread that out and hopefully continue the conversations, um, maybe in lots of books or if we can divide you in a gazillion ways, because I think as Chris mentioned, it's it's listening and we have a hard time listening to each other as adults. So we're just having a difficult time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you, did you say something? I didn't, I didn't hear you. (laughs) I think as adults, we're having a hard time these days listening to each other. Correct. So maybe if we can redirect that because we're not having the best ability to listen to each other and we're having to slow that down, but maybe if we can just all focus a little bit more on our youth and listening to them and asking those questions, how are you? As you said, what does that look like if we can all ask those questions? And, you know, I, as a parent, I try to do that. And I know Chris can speak of that as well. So I, I thank you so much for sharing those individual stories, because I think those are the ones that I'm excited to see you help inspire others with that. Because, again, it's the pressure, but kids, for some reason, are feeling that pressure. I think if we can look back at this whole episode, it's just the pressure so then what what can we do to help take that pressure off? And I guess for lastly, what would be the best way? I, I had this vision as we were all talking of having you, Dr. Brady, Dr. Barone, Dr. Tilking, kind of everybody maybe on a, a, a 
conversation platform, a platform, a Q&A where we can talk about the different, you know, stories and visions of what can we do to help youth to have their voices heard? Because I think it's very important. But in the meantime, what is the best way for us to support? Because I think you mentioned that in support your efforts, but how can we learn more? Do we do we follow you on Facebook? Do we do you have tips weekly? What does that look like? I think you, we just want to make sure we support you because your efforts are so wonderful. Thank you. Um, I try to be as active on social media as I can. Um, I try to put quotes on my Instagram. I try to put pictures. I try to put little videos on Facebook and you know quotes on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, I try, you know, I'm trying to write a blog at least once a month, you know, um, just to try and bring ideas to the table. You know, I don't think that we need to do anything drastic at the moment. Just, you know, for me, if, if people, if I can post one quote on Instagram and somebody can share it to their story, who doesn't sorry, somebody who follows me shares it to their story and it reaches someone who doesn't follow me and it just makes them feel a little bit better or it makes them feel like motivated, inspired, if it makes them feel like somebody's there, if they need to talk, you know, that that's the, for me, that's the biggest way that people can help is just try and spread the positive message that I'm trying to put out there for these young people and to try and, you know, listen as well. I said I'm active on social media, but I try not to focus too much time on social media because as much as it has an impact on life, it's not the real world. Can individuals reach out to you, text you, call you, email you? What do you like? I mean, kind of how do you spread that out as far as either individuals wanting to, they might know somebody say, oh, I have a parent that's looking for a a coach for their youth because you teach virtually which is wonderful. Obviously, nowadays with virtual everything, we can you can coach and mentor youth around the world. And what is the best way for individuals to get a hold of you? And, and how do you go about that process? Because obviously, you're only one person. I do still want to multiply you in a gazillion ways. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like I said, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, all my social media profiles are open and visible to anybody. So if somebody hears this and wants to visit my Instagram, for example, I'm at coach Joe Quigley or Joe Quigley coach. One of the two, I always get it the wrong way around. <laughs> and you do weekly or monthly sessions. It really depends on the individual, correct? So they can reach out to you and get a consultation. Yeah, absolutely. So I always offer a free half an hour consultation with anybody before I ask them to commit to a payment because I don't want somebody to reach out to me and have me be their coach and pay me if I'm not the right person for what they're looking for and vice versa. Um, You know, I take bookings as they come. Um, You know, if people do want sessions, they can book one session, they can book five, they can book 10, they can book 20. I am open to working with people how they want to be received. Wow. You know, for me as a coach, I don't want me, I don't want to go in and tell somebody this is what you need. I'm a believer that people know what it is that they need, or if they, if it's a parent and they have a young person, they might have an idea of what that young person needs, but the young person might be thinking completely differently. 
So that 30-minute consultation just gives me the opportunity to get to know the person who I'm potentially going to be working with. And if it makes sense for us to work together, I will tell them. And if it's something that I think they may need help, but maybe I'm not the right person or they need something very, very specific that I can't give them, then I'll point them in the right direction. But I'm very open. I will receive text. I will receive WhatsApp messages. I will receive LinkedIn messages. You know, I will call people on Zoom. I will call people on the phone if they're in the country. You know, I'm very open. I, I don't like to be a closed book. I try and be as open as possible and whatever it is that that person needs, I will try and provide that. And then parents obviously can reach out to you and then do you do joint consultations in the beginning or how does that work for parents? Yeah, so with parents, what I generally try to do is try and have a consultation with the parent and then have a separate consultation with the young person. And the reason I try and do that is because, like I said earlier, a parent may, obviously parents want the best for their children. I completely understand that, but I'm not a parent and I can't reference having children, but I try and get both sides because what I don't want is for a parent to come to me and say, this is what I think my young person needs. And then for the young person to, to give me something completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously parents know better than young people. And if a parent reaches out and says, I would like some coaching for my son or for my daughter or, you know, whoever it is that needs the support, I will offer it in the way that I think is best, but I won't um, work with a young person just having a conversation with the parent, but I will always have conversations with parents if they think there is something specific that their young person needs. Okay. And, and I think that's helpful, but I know our listeners are asking these questions. So I always try to ask what I know my listeners are going to ask. So I guess we'll end shortly, but as an adult, so say I'm, I'm very fascinated in what you do and I, and I would love to have you maybe teach a virtual community session for my school or my community for youth what would that look like? Could I just reach out to you and say, hey, I'd love to have you teach either a seminar. Do you teach seminars to adults to help children in those coaching or is it really just more one-on-one? I guess that's my question. Um, no, I do workshops as well. So I've done workshops at schools in the past with large groups of young people. Um, I haven't really done any specific training to adults at this moment in time. I'm trying to focus all my efforts on the young people. Okay. Um, I'm open to doing stuff virtually. I always prefer to do stuff face-to-face, okay. but... You know, I understand the way of the world and, you know, working with people from different countries is not always possible. So, yeah, virtual conferences, you know, I can record videos and send them ahead of time. You know, like I said before, I'm very open to what it is that people need. So if a teacher came to me and said, can you come into school and do a specific session for an hour? Yes, I can do that. If someone says, can you do a half day with a group of seven or eight young people that are really struggling over Zoom? Yes, I can do that. You know, I will always try and accommodate the needs of the client or the person who reaches out to me as best I can. I I have a feeling your inbox is going to grow over time just because of the, the needs and where we're at right now in society. But knowing that I think is very helpful. So individuals can learn about some of your processes, which you and Chris discussed earlier. And I, and I really appreciated the uplift and the gray space. So I think knowing that you're available to not necessarily, like you said, train adults, but help adults maybe learn more about your techniques so then they can recommend you to maybe teachers and and showing some virtual training, uh, because I think that's going to be a little bit more normal now. So I'm excited to see about 
some more of the programs that you instill. So definitely make sure you share with Chris and I any upcoming new videos that you might have, programs, and vice versa. If people reach out to us about about you and want to know more, uh, we're, we're very similar to you, very open book. That's the point of this is just really helping open those conversation and doors and sharing with us something. So if you if you have a new video that you found is very effective that you've been sharing with uh, community programs and techniques and trainings, always share that with us so we can we can get that out to individuals. And and again, thank you so much. And I learned so much. I'm excited to hopefully have you on in a later episode and talk more about just all the work you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you, coach. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Kara Finkenberg, founder of the Kira Co. and board member of Jewish Family Service of San Diego, the Jewish Federation of San Diego, ADL San Diego, and the JCC and CJC at the Lawrence Family Jewish Community Center. She is passionate about community, heritage, music, and youth. She has an insightful background helping us listen and learn how we can build a better future through local community efforts. Her heritage and professional talents in PR are felt in all she does, and her efforts influence youth's positive mindset, helping them to grow creatively, influencing and modeling a bright future. We'd also love to hear about your youth and sustainability stories, or to be a guest on this podcast, visit cityindesign.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pililoha Now, hashtag building sustainability. Tag and share with us your community programs, successes, and concerns so we can help spread the word. For Pililoha Now, Building Sustainability Youth Indicator Series, this is Pili Aloha. And this is Chris. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>